Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you could stand in our way? Think again. Toyota Hybrids. Find yours at Toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, see why 2000 through 2021 sales. Friday and we're back for our last brew of with for the week. I hope everybody's had a good week and it's looking forward to the weekend, albeit there's not tons we can do out there at the moment. Uh, but I'm delighted to say, uh, hopefully, to break up everyone's Friday. I've certainly been looking forward to this all week. I'm joined by author, uh, one of my favourite Everton authors, uh, it's James Corbett. James, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's wonderful to speak to you. Um, you know, you can see there all, all the books you've got in the, in the background. There. I mean, is that something you've been doing during the lockdown, trying to trying to crack through some of them and, and, and get them all ticked off? Uh, well, I've been, I've, I've, I've sort of got Instagram envy. I've, I've been going through with the writers' shelves and and, and how they've organised them. You've got some who organise them according to colour and um, some according to theme and so on. No, I haven't. Uh, that's just that's just how they are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's making it's putting mine to shape. People who are listening to the podcast, mine's like a tiny bookshelf, which you've had to put some picture frames on because I've got no, not not as many books. James just spreads across half the screen there. But uh, no, no, I mean, just 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 on that being being a writer in in lockdown, we spoke to a, a few journalists and how you know some people have sort of said that it's hard to get creative inspiration when you're sort of stuck indoors and you can't go out and speak to people, you can't go out and just you know, just feel the world around you. And, and others have sort of said that. 
this time where you can sort of get your head down, you you know, you're isolated in a, in a different sort of way from from, from your writing and a sort of help. I mean, how, how are you finding that? Have you have you found that this this lockdown has helped you be more productive, or have you struggled with it a little bit? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say struggled. I was I was put on furlough um, just over a month ago from my from my day job, which is which is writing for a sports business website off the pitch.com. Um, and I sort of missed the daily um, grind of getting stories and, and talking to people within football. Although I'm still so, I'm still sort of doing that, you know, your phone never stops going and the WhatsApps never stop coming in. So I miss I miss that and the discipline that goes with it. Um, and it's it's yeah, it's been a bit weird. I think mean, I mean probably because I've always worked. You know what I mean? Ever since I left school, I think I think this is probably. The longest period where I've not really had to do anything much um, other than you know be a dad to my kids and make sure the house is tidy, garden stuff. Um, you know, ever you know, ever since I left school, um, you know, nearly 25 years ago. So it's it, it's it's strange in that sense. Um, Watch loads of TV. Um, I've read quite a lot of books. Um, I've been you know, finishing off a few little odds and ends that have, have, have been on my hard drive. Um, but yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You know, there's people on the front line who are putting their lives at risk every day. So I can't complain about not having to do anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you found, have you found it that quite nice being, you know, all the, all the things you mentioned there in regards to, you know, spending time with your family and, and doing other things. Have you, have you found the, the break from football quite, quite nice? Cause I think it's, you know, we're getting on to probably six weeks or so now where we've, we've, we've not really had any at all. We're getting towards the point in the year where the season would usually be, be coming to an end, if you will. You know, we're in May now. It's the, it's the first of May today. I, I, I'm sort of starting to feel as though we've gone from that initial, I'm not bothered, to the I'm really missing it, to sort of, I'm quite used to it not being around anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, whenever there's um, an international break and there's no Everson at the weekends, and you're sort of a, a bit of a loss for things to do on a Saturday afternoon. It does bring home to you how much football is like the central thread that goes through your life. Um, but I think I think long past that stage now. Um, but you know, I, I just would really love to be in Goodison Park tomorrow. I don't. I can't even remember who we we're meant to be playing or whether we we're meant to be playing there. And you know, being sat next to my dad and being able to go for a pint afterwards to talk talk about you know, the inevitable defeat or boring draw or whatever it is. Um, so I miss all that. What I don't miss actually is the travelling because I live in Ireland and I've still got my season ticket. And, um, you know, I, I, I sort of do 60 or 70 overseas trips every year, most mostly to the UK. But I don't miss the 4am starts and all the hassle of security and all that. So it's been, it's been just over two months since I last took a flight, which again... I, I can't remember the last time I went so long, probably 20 years uh, without traveling. Um, so yeah, I miss, I miss, I miss that aspect. Yeah, I think speaking to people, that's the the thing that they, they mainly said about missing the match. It, it is that routine. It is the, the day-to-day grinding, if you will. It's, it's seeing the people, you know, it's having, having the pints afterwards. And I think as certainly as Evertonians and certainly the way the club's been over the last few years, we have sort of fell into a bit of a malaise and a bit of a, you know, a shrug your shoulder sort of attitude towards the football when it was just week after week after week. 
it feels a little bit as though, and I don't know if this will change when the football comes back again, but it, speaking to, to, to you guys over the last few weeks, it feels as though maybe we all won't just take it for granted when it comes back again. Maybe we'll, the, the, you know, the Everton fan base might go to Goodison Park and approach this in, in a different way and be a bit more positive and sort of look to seize the days a little bit more, especially given the fact that there might not be many more matches at Goodison Park to come down the years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, look, I mean, for me, the, the great shame about Everson not playing at the moment is that we've got three really good young players there who sort of had their breakthrough seasons. Um, you know, Richarlison has proved that he's not just a one-season wonder. Calvert-Lewin has shown that he's he's got the pedigree to be a top-class centre-forward. And Mason Holgate has been absolutely brilliant. And I just feel really sorry for these lads mm. that they're potentially having that season just scrubbed off. You know, can you imagine having, having yeah. 15 goals scrubbed off at the age of 21 or 22, like Calvert-Lewin is, and just... And, and just forgotten about and all all the progress that he's made. So it's for them that I I I I, I, I sort of feel feel for now during this during this hiatus. Um, and obviously it was, great, it was great to get Ancelotti in just before Christmas, but the rest I can sort of take or leave. <laughs> well, I suppose that that's a that's a great point. Actually, I suppose it'd be someone like coming up to you saying. After you've done two thirds of a book and just just ripping it up and going, you, you've got to start that again. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, James. You know you, you've done really well with this so far, and it took you a while, and you've been working really hard to get to this point. But you know, unfortunately, you're gonna have to start it again. It might not count. Yes. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It, it, it is crazy. But you know, like we, there are still football and topics that are being discussed. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll run through some of them now. Um, obviously, Mayor Joe Anderson was in the news yesterday in regards to comments he made um, about. Um, Premier League potentially returning. Um, Liverpool Football Club issued a statement, unhappy about um, sort of him, sort of making an assumption that fans would gather outside Anfield um, and congregate and you know celebrate the title win that it was awarded. I mean, what did you make of that back and forth yesterday, um, James? I mean, it, well, I was, I, I was, I was, I was, I was reading the interview just before you called, and it's actually, it's actually quite well balanced. I think they've taken little bits of it and. They're, you know, they're obviously not happy that Joe is, you know, is a heart on his sleeve Evertonian as well. But they've taken bits of it and twisted it round. You know, the fact of the matter is that certain Liverpool supporters have repeatedly let themselves down over the years. And you are going to get an idiot minority who, despite being repeatedly told, will come out. Uh, you know, the, that's, that's, that's a simple fact. You know, it's going to happen. It's a waste of police resources and it's a public health hazard. Um, and if they, if, they, if, if they read the interview, you know, Joe's, Joe's just taken a very sensible point of view, in my, in, in my opinion. It's been, it's been mis, you know, entirely misconstrued. Mm. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I live right by Sefton Park and there was an article in the Liverpool Echo earlier this week where... Joe was asked about people congregating in Sefton Park and having barbecues and picnics and that sort of thing. And he was, he was quick to come down on those people as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a case of him singling out the Liverpool fan base here and saying, you know, look at these. These are the sorts of people that would, would not follow this this lockdown. I think it's been sort of shown throughout society that, that, that a lot of people are, are relaxing the stance towards all this now. Yeah. But, you know, look, even part of me could understand people wanting to go to Sefton Park and, you know, lie down on the grass and maybe not have a barbecue but 
you know, that's taking it to an extreme. But if you're if you're living in a in a house share or a flat, you don't have any outside space. If only for your mental health, you know, the temptation is there. You know, it's a it's a human response. Whereas attending a one-off event, you know, to see the champions, you know, there's no there's no logic if you're being repeatedly told not to go not to go there. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, it seems like it's going to run and run that one. I imagine we'll get another response from them today, um, from, from Joe. Uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. But one other thing I wanted to speak about, um, you, James, is, you know, obviously people who are watching this and listening to this will know about all the, the fantastic work you've done on, on Everton in particular. Um, and we'll be really familiar with your books. But one article I do want to speak to you about is one that you wrote in 2015 for the Blizzard magazine, which if anyone's not checked out as well, it's a fantastic publication. Get some of the best football writers about um, writing really passionately and really intelligently about various different things. And in 2015, James, you were in Qatar and you sort of did a deep dive into the regime in Qatar, how, you know, what's happening ahead of the World Cup, and looked at the, some of the human rights issues. And it was genuinely a, a fascinating piece of work. And it's, it, you know, it stayed with me for, for the five years since then. <clears throat> and I think what I, what I wanted to ask you about is, is how you feel about organisations and nations like Qatar, and obviously Saudi Arabia of Newcastle going forward, and how this, this affects the, the, the everyday supporter and the everyday fan. Because... At the moment, we're seeing a lot of pieces from, <coughs> excuse me, other other uh, outlets sort of saying about how Saudi, you know, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia coming to Newcastle is a bad thing. You've got Newcastle fans coming back saying, well, you know, it, it's nothing to do with us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it feels as though as we're sort of moving forward in football and you know, increasingly moving forward in, into the modern age, that this is a dilemma that's going to be placed on you know, the shoulders of, of a lot of supporters. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a number of, I mean, there's a number of different issues there. With regards to Qatar, it's, it's a story that I've covered since 2008-2009 when they were bidding for the World Cup, and I've been there five or six times, um, and I had planned to go on going there again this year to sort of follow up on it. Um, and the story that you that you reference, which is which is I think it's available for free online at the Blizzard now yeah. right now. Um, I'll um, put so, the link. I'll put the link to it in the YouTube description and podcast description below if anyone wants to check it out. Okay, great. Well, I went there at the end of 2014 to just see what 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 was in effect the greatest PR disaster of all time, which it was at the time because nobody had heard of Qatar before it won the World Cup, and you know it's this tiny emirate. It's sort of like the size of um, I mean, if you can imagine the World Cup being awarded to Greater Manchester. But yeah. Manchester not having any football history and also being incredibly hot in the summer, it was it was the equivalent of of that in terms of in terms of size. Obviously, um, FIFA has had its corruption issues and Qatar has been linked to those. Um, it had one of its football leaders wanted to one took on Sepp Blatter to be FIFA president and lost very badly and was held it was. So it caught up in this huge corruption scandal. And at the same time, you had all these um, stories coming out about uh, workers and the horrible conditions that they lived in. Um, and what I did, I spent a week or 10 days, I can't remember, um, just going around and, 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 and seeing what was happening um, four years after Qatar had won it, you know, 
Was it a slave state? Was it just a PR exercise? You know, what did ordinary Qataris think about it? Um, and that's what I wrote about. It's, it's a sort of 10, 11,000 word piece that discusses those things. Uh, what I found, I suppose, I suppose if you're looking at the pressing issues, um, it was it was and is a piece of PR. Um, and five years later, or six years later, you can actually say that it's it's worked to Qatar's advantage because it was involved, country's been involved in a in an economic blockade by the rest of its neighbours for the last three years, but it sort of catapulted Qatar's um, reputation to an extent where I suppose I suppose other powers, including the United States, won't let Qatar be invaded by Saudi Arabia, which for a period looked like it would happen, and to an extent you can say the world. Cup is um, is is responsible for that and and, yeah. and the rest of the world's knowledge of it. I mean, in terms of the the, the narrative about um, Kafala, which is which is the form of indentured labour they have, that that's also moved on, and the the World Cup has been a catalyst for change there. So previously, you would have these guys coming from Nepal or India or Philippines. Um, increasingly from East Africa as well to work on the building sites. And it was completely unregulated. And um, these guys were being paid relatively well, I suppose, by, by, by the standards that they were they were operating in at home. But in terms of Qatar, where you literally have teenagers going around in Lamborghinis, um, you know, the idea that these guys were earning two or three hundred dollars a month for six days a week physical labour um, seemed very wrong. Now, what I did during the course of this trip was I went to see the living conditions of some of these people and, 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 and to talk to them. And I saw, you know, horrific dormitories. If you, if you, if you put together a group of young men, doesn't matter what country they're in, and just sort of leave them to their own devices and they're living four or six or eight for room. It's it, yeah. it, it's going to be pretty nasty. But these guys are poor and the physical structures they're living in were poor. Um, but then at the same time, I also went to see the work barracks, which had been put up for specific specifically for the World Cup labourers. And um, you know they were they were pretty good. They were they were clean. They were safe. They had canteens, they had gyms, uh, one of them had a swimming pool, um, and the guys worked hard. They worked really, really hard. Um, but they were, they were also very proud of the work that they did, and they were proud yeah. of the fact that they were remitting money to their villages um, in, in the developing world. Um, and they didn't want to be seen as victims. The narrative at the time was all about them being victims. They wanted to show that they were providers for their families, that they were building houses um, in their villages and so on. So what I found was a very complicated picture, um, and it was almost like a two-tier thing. So if you work on a World Cup site, you almost had preferential treatment to guys working elsewhere. Um, and I think I think things have things have developed. There's been a greater greater move to have wider worker rights within within Qatar since 2015. Um, still not, still not at the levels that we would perhaps expect in the West, but it's it's probably a different world to what it was a, a decade ago. 
Um, and I and I sort of showed this evolution within within the article. And, I, and, I, and as I say, when all this uh, coronavirus business is over, I hope to go back out there and see what else has changed uh, in the time since then. Um, and then obviously Newcastle has been in the news. Um, it's been bought by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia. And Saudi have just, you know, an absolutely horrendous reputation for human rights. You know, there are hundreds of people being executed every year. It has a very harsh form of Islam, um, a very conservative form of Islam. And it's seen as um, sport washing for the, for the yeah. regime. Seen seen as a way to make it acceptable in the way that I suppose Abu Dhabi have sought to do with Manchester City and Qatar sought to do with the World Cup. Um, the question is, should the, you know, should fans feel responsible for it? Well, no, in a way, because, you know, the rules at the moment allow anybody to come in and buy and it's, it's not a sovereign wealth fund, it's a bunch of con artists or ill-disciplined businessmen who are coming in and buying the club. So, you know, would you would you take responsibility for them? No, you mm-hmm. wouldn't. I suppose um, it's, it's it's more the, the the sort of what what I was thinking about is in regards to how 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 would how should I mean how how would you feel for example if this was Everton and maybe this is something we're going to have to have a moral dilemma with ourselves further down the line in regards to Alicia Rusman often and his involved you know potentially involvement in the football club you know I suppose as as his roots grow and Everton potentially and more and more comes out about him we might be having similar discussions not maybe on the same extent as, as Saudi Arabia but I think I mean I I I wouldn't know how to reason with that as as, as a football fan I I couldn't sit here and say if I was a Newcastle fan what I would think about that. Well, if you if you well if you look at the two the two big clubs that have come in and they've had huge investment or financial doping or whatever you want to call it, you've got Chelsea and Abramovich came in in 2003, was it? Yeah. And Man City and Sheikh Mansour came in in 2008. Now they both bought into those clubs for PR reasons. The Abu Dhabi regime and Abramovich, it was sort of a, Abramovich's. Um, public cloak if you like it you know it it, it brought him prominence and he, he sort of became a bit of an untouchable now if you look at the reactions of those fans I don't think any Chelsea fan is you know they're all aware of who Abramovich is and what he's done he's one of these um, I've got to be careful now he is for, you know for want of a better word from an era of robber baron economics in Russia, where a lot of guys became very rich very quickly, and you can look at their methods and say, well, you know, not always legal or it's or it's skirting the line of the law. You know, it is what it is. Now, Chelsea fans, as a as a, as a group, have sort of said, well, it's great. You know, we've got all this money and we've had some great players and great teams, and we've won five titles and a Champions League since then. Um, that's fine. The other example is Man City, and you've got a group of supporters there who I don't know what it is, but it's psychological because they you know, they were always a bit of a joke, um, or whether it's something in in, in the Mancunian psyche, but they've always been incredibly defensive. 
and some have tried to you know, claim that it's some sort of economic miracle or that it's not part of part of the deeper PR campaign. And I think that's wrong. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've had numerous interactions on social media, some of them incredibly unpleasant with Man City supporters about this question. And the issue isn't, you know, you should take responsibility for your owners' um, crimes or shortcomings. It's just have an awareness of it. And if they've come in, they've stuck a billion quid in your bank account, don't, for God's sake, try and claim that it's some sort of economic miracle. You know, Man City isn't even the biggest club in its own city, mm. never mind, you know, the second biggest club in the world, according to its finances, or the biggest club. You know, it's all been leveraged by state money and a network of clubs that have elsewhere in the world that have supported it through licensing fees, and you can question the, the legality of that. So anyway, that's 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 my roundabout answer. I think <laughs> supporters can't can't be expected to um, you know take responsibility for their owners, but at the same time they need to have an awareness of who they are, what they are, what they're doing it for, and don't just don't get caught up in in defending. I I, I certainly won't be defending uh, Alisher Usmanov when when he comes in as, 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 as the Everton owner, if he, if he does, that is. Yeah, I suppose it just, just sort of linking this back to the start of speaking about Mayor Joe Anderson, Liverpool, I mean, it feels as though often it's it's the issues away from the, the football itself in regards to who runs the club, or the t- decisions they take and, you know, <clears throat> the practices that are, that are put in place by people away from the actual football pitch, the the prompt the more tribal reactions from fans and you know it, it seems as though like you said there that the Manchester City fans and you know Newcastle fans certainly recently you mentioned Chelsea supporters there it's it's almost as if when the when the football stops and people start talking about the you know the business side of it if you will and the ownership side of it that people get really tribal yeah and it's absolutely nuts I mean yeah. why, well, you seriously why don't you defend it you know you don't see you don't see virgin customers going out and saying <laughs> No, should get his bail out from the government. <laughs> you, you, you don't see it in any other form of business. And at the end of the day, these these mega rich guys frankly don't care about supporters. They don't care about supporters. They wouldn't have them, you know, they wouldn't entertain them in their boxes or their homes or whatever. They're just they're customers to them. And increasingly superfluous customers because the amount of money that they're putting into the clubs through through investment or sponsorships you know, actually negates their importance. And, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's one of the reasons why this coronavirus crisis isn't so far Everton so badly because Everton actually don't, don't really need the match day income like other clubs further down the league, the league ladder do. Yeah, uh, James, it's been fascinating. Um... Great stuff on all things concerned. I mean, just just potential teaser to anyone out there. Are you working on anything else Everton related at the moment, or I'm the Everton Encyclopedia that I wrote eight years ago or published eight years ago. That's that's in the process of being digitised, so that's that that's going to go online sometime later on this year. Um, but that's it for now. Okay. Do you think it's just just sort of a final question? Do you think it's a difficult time to be writing about Everton and certainly writing books about Everton because I suppose in, in the grand scheme of things over the past 
10, 15 years or so, maybe up until Carlo Angelotti coming into the football club recently, it feels as though the club have just sort of treaded water a little bit. You know, there's been no major highs in regards to pushes for trophies or there's been no real major scares in regards to, you know, seasons where you've been on the brink of relegation and, you know, potentially going under in that sense. It feels as though they just treaded water. And maybe for, for, you know, for authors and people looking for frangles when it comes to books, there's not really been that much there over the past 15 years. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I was thinking of um, spending some time updating my first book ever in the School of Science, which is the narrative history of Everton. And it was last published a decade ago. I thought, well, actually, <laughs> what are you going to write about? Mm. Seriously, what are you going to write about? There was one good season under, under Martinez. And I think about the actual moments where I, where I really loved and I was really infused and excited by everything on one hand. And ultimately, they're not going to add to any narrative of the history. You know, the, the Sunderland FA Cup quarterfinal, the Chelsea FA Cup quarterfinal, um, we beat City 4 0, um, but we haven't won a derby game, um, we haven't won a trophy, we haven't got through to a final, a couple of seven, three semi finals in that period. So, yeah, there's very little to write about, um, but hopefully the 2020s will. We'll add someone to the narrative, and we we do have we do have one of the great individuals of the game at the club now, and Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I just hope he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't sort of get fed up being in in lockdown at Crosby, um, and 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 want to go back to his to his mansion on Vancouver Island when it's all yeah. all said and done. Because I'm from Crosby and I, I can't think of much as I love being stuck in a house. Uh, he seems there. to be enjoying counting the Iron Men anyway, so he tells us, you know. Yeah. So he seems to be keeping himself busy in that regard. But yeah, <laughs> James, it's been an absolute pleasure, like I said. Um, anyone who's not read that article, um, James Dunn of it's, it's in the the YouTube description or the podcast description. I'll include a link to James' Twitter and, and all the work he's been doing as well in regards to everything. But it's been absolutely fascinating, mate. Um, make sure you stay safe and uh, hopefully see you again at Gutterson Park um, in the not-too-distant future. Okay. Okay, thanks, Matt. Bye. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. If you want to leave me for another house, I totally understand. House? Where's this coming from? It's just, I I know there's some newer homes on the market. I didn't even know that, because I'm not looking. I bet those other houses don't have a crack in their foundations. You know that crack doesn't bother me. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.